Hey guys, it's uh, Chad Taylor here, Dean Dampney, Die Black from the south coast of New South Wales. We're all psychotherapists and we're bringing you conversations for men and women. And today it's podcast 18. Who would have thought we would have made it this far when we started this out just to see where it went? And I think today Dean's going to share with us about an adventure he had down to the southern part of Victoria a few weeks ago. So, Dean, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, g'day, Chad. Hey, Di. Nice to see you guys. Hey. Nice to hear your voices. Uh, the adventure was the result of a three-week trip that I'd had planned otherwise with my ex-girlfriend. And um, as a result of my window of opportunity being even more open, um, without any set destination, but still having that time up my sleeve. I followed a series of cues that uh, presented themselves to me and ended up finding myself posted up in a little corrugated iron shack <laughs> uh, about a kilometre or two as a crow flies from Bells Beach, which is still not very far from Jan Jack and Torquay and, and relatively developed environments. But uh, where I was, I was surrounded by... Um, fields and trees uh, in every direction, basically. And I took it upon myself to treat that three weeks as a journey further into me to learn more about myself. And it was inspired by the fact that I'd come to a couple of realisations, um, once again, using guidances as the as the app term. And those, those guidances were... Uh, Two, two relationships over the last 20 years that both spoke to me in reference to um, there being a certain a relationship style that I'd become, well, I'd come to embody a little bit. Um, for the bigger of those two relationships, it wasn't very clear to me whatsoever that that was a relationship style that I'd be held and I hadn't actually done the work in that realm and I hadn't actually, I didn't have the awareness around attachment styles throughout that. Uh, what I did know is I had a tendency towards people pleasing, uh, especially with relationship to my partner at the time. And I also had a tendency to, you know, retrospectively now looking back, to compromise my ideology um, for the sake of holding on to my relationship because the relationship by definition, in my mind, was the most important thing in my life and actually not being in relationship, regardless of, of the experience of how good or bad or indifferent or whatever it may have been, I was inclined to hang on to that relationship at all costs. And I made a commitment in marriage and everything else, which is pretty significant in terms of my, my patterning. But stepping forward into my next real significant relationship over this period of time and much shorter and more intense in a lot of ways as well. But once again, I found myself on the other side of that more recent relationship saying, okay, hang on, there was that patterning there that um, officially defines me as having an abandonment wound, being uh, having a tendency at whatever level, reasonably low on the most part, apart from a couple of acute experiences that were short-lived but pronounced of having anxious and anxiety. And to me that meant that basically, again, I was more concerned with holding on to my relationship than basically honouring myself completely. So long story short, 
that window of opportunity allowed me to go, hang on, I've got this opportunity to get down to a place in the middle of nowhere and effectively sit on a cushion, move my body through yoga, um, incorporate every practice that has spiritual significance in my life, including surfing, turn the phone off and see what arose throughout that period of what was actually 18 days, two and a half weeks, I guess. Um, and, yeah, I was reasonably regimented in my approach. I literally scheduled out every half-hour slot of every day um, minus four days of the 18 from 5 a.m. till 8.30, 9 p.m. It was, it was basically I was going to do this from that time to that time, so on and so forth, all with the pure intention of looking deeply into myself and hopefully finding realizations and even more so allowing those realizations to integrate into a felt sense of uh, wisdom, even more so into what turned out to be the case, a, a sense of, of wholeness or at least towards wholeness. So, yeah, there you go. That's that's where I've been. I got back a, a week and a half ago and it was profound. Thanks for sharing, Dane. What would you say the biggest realisation that you had during that 18 days away was? <laughs> um, let's see what comes out. I haven't, I've got no premeditated answer. What I, what I did do is I made a list at the end of every day as part of my practice to, um, to articulate to myself what, what had arose in, in that realm of realisations or insights. Um, what struck me is quite surprising is that I had like, I don't know, five to ten realizations every day. And just like anything, you know, like I take the presumption that um, all knowingness is within us and it's not like this is new stuff. And in that case, I didn't look at these realizations on the most part and go, wow, that's so new, such a, a realization that I am, um, yeah, I'm not, you know, I didn't even know that that was a part of my experience of the universe. But there are more just things like going, oh, yeah, shit, that's that's a thing and it's my thing. And my realisation was going, hang on, okay, this is me going, that's a part of my my teaching that I need to adopt a little bit more so. Okay, the biggest realisation was, you know, what's gonna, what's coming from me right now is that for 16 days out of those 18 days, those realisations on a subtle level were coming thick and fast and was gentle and relatively easy and in the back of my mind I'd been given some sage advice by a, a beautiful friend who's incredibly diligent when it comes to spiritual practices for self and for others and he said look do you know I really think you should spend one day where you don't go so easy on yourself you know maybe go for a walk here and there but don't don't allow yourself to go surfing. Basically, hit that cushion and, and get your ten hours in or your eight hours in on your butt and do do the do the hard work. Because he knows me well enough to know that I very much take the middle road. Um, very much a believer in taking the middle road. Um, not too light, not too easy, not too strong, not too full on. On the most part, I got tendencies in both directions, but tend to try and stick in the middle. And sixteen days in with two to go, I was like, shh. You know, 
here I am. I'm going to go back with my tail between my legs. A bunch of little realizations. They're all really well and good. But, um, you know, to myself, I was saying far out. I, I believed that I needed to do it. And so day 17, I did. And I started on my cushion at 5.15. And effectively, I spent about eight to nine hours on my cushion between that time in the morning and 8.30 that night. Um, it sounds relatively intense. It actually wasn't. It was beautiful. It's an amazing experience. But what I identified towards the beginning of that morning on day 17 is that there was a little bit of um, me that was still stuck and I wouldn't be able to put words to it, although the fact that I referenced myself, me, in saying that out loud was was an indicator that I I was aware that as part of my experience that that at that point in time, up until that point point of time, looking back as far as I can imprint upon myself the memory of the experience, there's a part of me that felt um, the way it felt to me was like there was a, a hold energetically or a stuckness um, and a certain anchor is really how it felt. So to be, I guess, even clearer, I, I live very much in both realms of, of the energetic, free-flowing realms of, of the bigger picture stuff, feeling that I'm relatively lucid or fluid with the experiences of, 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 of energies that move within me. Uh, and likewise, obviously, I'm a human being that has a head and, um, and a mind and thoughts that tend to basically chop in and out and, and tell myself stories and do all the other great things that the mind can do as well. Going back to the former of those two experiences, if I was to divide my, my way of being into the two realms, energetically, it felt like basically my, um, free flowing energy was, was fluid and vibrational and free throughout every particle of my body, except for one little bit. <laughs> and the vision that just came to mind is, um, you know, you know, it's, is it a, is it a muscle or some kind of a mollusk? If you if you shell them, whatever the word is, when you take the shellfish out of the shell, and it's all free. Maybe it's an oyster. I can't remember if oysters do this, but certainly I think it's mussels, and yeah, you know, maybe all of them. But when you shuck them and you take them out, they kind of come out relatively freely. Except there's that one last little bit. It's like the root that's hanging on really tight to the shell. That's what it felt like. My energetic presence or my you know, translation of whatever that means to you guys was doing. And I couldn't say where it was stuck to and which part of my body it was in. All I knew is there was a really pronounced hold in me and I didn't know what the fuck it was, but I was so stoked that I was able to articulate that to myself. I was able to see that and feel that and experience that because I knew that's where the work was to be done. And so my focus went into that and, okay, so here we go. Really, that hold as it turned out throughout that day and the next day day 18 which i doubled down and took on ben's next line of advice instead of doing one day of that pretty big work do you know why don't you do two in fact do two consecutive days eight to ten hours on the cushion I remember we we're like 16 days in already and I was doing a, a lot of practice in all those days preceding um by the end of day 17 i realized that that hold was the part of me that wasn't free to move through this world with complete um, 
loving adoration or with a, with complete contentedness, complete satisfaction of every aspect of me without this notion that I needed to be held in my mother's arms. <laughs> um, far out. So there you are, 51 years old, and you're saying to yourself, shit, I actually really just want to cuddle. <laughs> and nervous laugh there as well. It was it was cool. It was a really great realisation. I came to that um, not through an image of my mother, but just working out, you know, what I'm actually looking for in relationship historically, what what it was that was really important to me. And my work as a psychotherapist and holistic counsellor is constantly a mirror to me and where my journey has come from. Normally it's only a couple of days, if not weeks, in advance to what my, my clients are experiencing. That's that's my way, that's my meta way. And what I'm what I've been having discussions with a lot of clients about was what intimacy meant to them and whether or not it was something they wanted within relationship and which we typically on the most part do. And in articulating what intimacy meant to me myself over these over these weeks and months, I realized that I, you know, like as much of a sexual being as I am, that wasn't the pinnacle of my intimate desires. As much as a um, conversational, emotionally communicative being that I am, that wasn't the crux or the pinnacle of my um, intimate desires. I realized that at first that I wanted to just simply hold and be held. And then I was like, well, hang on, is there more to that? Is there a sub layer? And I'm always trying to go deeper and deeper. You know, like if I had to give up one of those two just to hold someone or to be held by someone, I was like, well, actually, I just want to be held. Throw in another textural layer of skin to skin, even better. <laughs> so there's that, there's that hold of that, you know, last part of my energetic imprint on my, on my psyche that just wanted to be held by my mother. And there's obviously stories behind that as we've all got, which I don't need to go into, but in acknowledging that to myself, it was huge. And in accepting that, um, yeah, huge. And then even more so in allowing it, huge. End of that day, the end of the last day, at least the profound realization I had is that, um, I'm very capable of moving with complete satisfaction and contentness, wholeness, masculinity in my case as well. Um, through my life looking forward and from that moment onwards without needing that, um, that hug from the figure of a mother. Um, because I learned in those days proceeding to that realization, how to, um, how to experience all of that for myself. And it was, it was effectively wrapped in the arms of that last couple of days of practice, um, allowing myself to, you know, paradoxically, as it always goes, to free myself from the need to externalize that desire to bring that in. Thanks for sharing, Dane. Sounds like an amazing experience that you you put yourself through down there. And I suppose what what stood out for me was that um you know, like we've well, like we've all shared here before that how important that that early years of our life is, that those formative years that really create our attachment style. 
you know, and, and create the way we are in the world. You know, and, and I believe you know, the purpose of being here is is to evolve and and almost have these experiences so that then we can do things like what you're doing, do this inner work, prayer, meditation, therapy, um, yoga, the stuff we do here, conversations, you know, t- to actually learn why we are who we are and why we do what we do. You know, you, you touched on the the word masculinity there, you know, and, and we've shared on that before, you know, we had an earlier podcast that was all about masculine and feminine energy, you know, and how you know, my belief is if it's not modelled to us properly during childhood, which I don't think it is because I don't think anyone is really that consciously aware of it, in the in the collective, in the norm, I'm sure there is a few people who are who have done the work who are aware of it. But I think most of these concepts and and ideas and and ways of being are so deeply ingrained in the unconscious, passed down from generation to generation, and then combine that with the fact that how busy we all are. You know, we've become. Like I've shared before, you know, have become human doings, not human beings. We never actually sit still long enough to allow that to come up and to really process why we are the way we are in the world, why we are needing a hug or wanting to give a hug or what is intimacy to me, you know, and and. And I suppose we've we've also shared, you know, about that that statement, you know, saying I love you to somebody. You know, are we telling someone we love them because we really want them to tell us that they love us, or are we actually telling them that we love them because we just want them to tell them that we love them and we want them to know that they're loved? You know, and that that's been a massive realization for me and a lot of my clients. Just that one simple line there, you know, when you tell your kids that you love them. Are you actually really wanting your kids just to tell you that they love you? You know, just being mindful and aware of that. But if we don't learn how to do these these practices and we don't learn, you know, in your terms, as how to sit on the cushion, it doesn't have to be for 18 days, even if it was for 18 minutes. I'd like to say, you know, if, if me or Di or you or anyone sat down or anyone listening out there, you know, try it. Set your timer on your phone for 18 minutes and sit there and really try and think about what's coming up, like really from deep within, deeper than the deeper than the conscious awareness thinking. You know, and and I love the analogy of the oyster, you know. Because it's mm-hmm. almost like that that root is that root from childhood in in my, you know, that's what I got out of what you shared there. It's that deep root from childhood that you know, no matter how much we try and shake this off, how much we try and listen to affirmations or tell ourselves that we're going to be a different way than what we are, it's almost falling on deaf ears because it's all coming from this primary awareness. It's all coming from this this thinking function and we never actually delve into the feeling function. You know, Carl Jung talks about we have four four main sort of functions, you know, being the feeling, the thinking, the intuition and the perceiving. 
But the problem is, especially in the Western world, almost all of us are so profound in our thinking function now because that's the way we're trained and that's the way we're brought up, that our intuition, our feeling function, our perceiving function are so inferior that we don't know how to access them. You know, and that's what a retreat like what you've just had or coming to see a therapist ongoingly or, you know, having been able to be in this conversation to try and stimulate that part of us to give us the medicine we need, you know, because everything we need is inside of us. You know, and I'm not sure if anyone out there has heard of the parable of the clay Buddha. You know, but he's such a, to me, it's such a powerful, powerful parable. And and part of it, you know, it, when I say a parable, there's actually some truth to it as well. In, in 1767, there was a city and it was about to be invaded, derelict temple, and the Burmese army was coming to invade this and the villagers decided that they had this gold Buddha that was virtually their prized possession and they decided what they were going to do was they were going to cover it with clay so that when this Burmese army invaded, they wouldn't think it was any value and they'd leave it. Right, A hundred years had passed and there was someone went into this derelict temple and found this clay Buddha and then they, they brought it back out and they thought it was clay. Everybody just perceived that it was clay because it looked like clay. And then as they started carrying it and looking closer, a bit of clay chipped off and they noticed something inside. You know, and then they, the more they scratched with a little hammer, the more they realised it wasn't clay. And they started unpacking it and washing it off and it was pure gold. It was worth multiple millions of dollars. You know, and But because it had clay put on it, so much longer before these people had actually found it, they just presumed that it was clay and that it had no gold or no value. You know, and I, th- I think for us, you know, Joseph Campbell talks a lot about these sort of parables and myths. You know, I think a lot of us have missed a lot of this storytelling. You know, the, the church has tried to do it, but our minds become so literal that we couldn't get it. You know, and a lot of the Eastern cultures, you know, they talk in parables and stories and, you know, Indigenous cultures in dream time. And, you know, I can remember reading books like The Rainbow Serpent in primary school. I had so much wisdom in these teachings, but we needed to be in one of these other functions. We needed to be in our intuition or our feeling or our perceiving function to be able to, for that to have any effect. For in our thinking function, it's almost like it just completely got disconnected from any wisdom that was in that. You know, and that's what I really got out of what you just shared then, Dean, about your trip. You know, that, you know, it sounded like for the first 16 days, you were almost not in that thinking function, but you were in the doing function, you know, you were still structured and surfing and, you know, you, you said your day was planned out from 5.30 to I think you said 8.30 or 9.30 at night, you know, you were in the doing function and then as soon as you took the pedal off and became in that being function, all that wisdom was able to come up, you know, and, and I'm sure there was a lot of things just by slowing down and not working and, and being away from technology that really came up in that first 16 days that would have been enough to come away from. 
But then when we're really going, I believe it's all about the intention. If we go in with that intention to try and bring up stuff that we need to learn from, I think almost the universe will then give us what we need through our perceiving, through our intuition, through our feeling because we're making that conscious choice, you know. It's almost like that statement, ask and you'll receive. You know, so for me, I um, it's really stimulated a lot in me, you know, about how I got to where I am, you know. But um, probably hand it over to Di and, you know, we've already, we've spoke a lot and I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, I know, I know Di's got so much wisdom and, you know, from from working with Di and, and knowing Di, you know, I know that she'd, she'd have a lot to share with us from her personally in her work journey and, and what she does. Mm. Thanks, guys. Gosh, I'm a bit emotional. <laughs> um, listening to Dean share his truth and um, how hard he worked, how hard you work, like that's, like the the biblical 40 days 40 nights but you did 18 and um it seems to be that to to be able to process deeply we have to allow us allow, allow ourselves that uninterrupted time with self so it seems to happen more quickly in solitude i think it's with our busy human lives it is we can still process, but it's always interrupted. And in my own experience, I've found that my processing has always been through periods of either complete solitude or aloneness or feeling that way so that I withdraw totally in my surroundings when there's someone around anyway. So that processing will happen naturally, I think, to anyone who who is allowed the opportunity to spend that time with self and meet the gold, as you say, Chad, that gold um, that is our self, which we, you know, I, th I think in my own experience when I have really deeply suffered, when I have actually allowed myself to drop through that pain and into the down to the bottom, I've actually written a song about it. It's called um, Sink Into the Moment and There at the Bottom Lies Joy. You know, if, if if you're not afraid to fall into that pain, the truth and the gold is, well, the truth is at the bottom and you might cry incredible tears, but then comes that beautiful uh, release that the tears brings of that truth becoming conscious so I guess my question to you, Dean, would have been that oyster analogy was just amazing because, you know, it is so like that, isn't it? You shuck the oyster and there's still that little bit of and and the fact that you were able to process and come to that, con you, you brought that unconscious attachment, literal attachment, and psychological attachment to the conscious level and in doing that and acknowledging it you are released from it do you feel that you're released from it now 
Yes, I do completely. Well, time will tell and the test will come at me, no doubt, <clears throat> depending on how much I invite them, but the invitation's there. Um, you know, for now, I, when I say the invitations for the test, I guess we've all got our own interpretation of that. Um, my, my instinct is, is that I'll, I'll be in much closer relationship to myself, with myself, um, forever. Um, and for the time being and, um, you know, looking forward into the foreseeable future, I don't have any, um, any held intentions of finding myself in a relationship with, with others on an intimate one to one relationship, relational level. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see when I say the test will come. I'd imagine that, um, there'll be opportunities for me to feel into whether or not the work I've done is, um, is going to be imprinted, you know, looking forward, um, completely. And the, the answer to myself in that is that it's practice. So the, the realization I had and, you know, using that symbol of the oyster, um, which I just, I'm going to tell you all that I like that as well. <laughs> I like it even more. This, it just came to me when I was saying all that before. It just, I like it as well because the oyster is free from the shell and that protective shell, um, you know, is fear. And being free from those fears is so significant, you know, personally for all of us, full stop. Um, so, yeah, using the symbol of, of all of that, being free from my shell, free from uh, any of the fears around that, um, I've, I've got the symbolism, I've got the energetic imprint, I've got the experience in the dimensions of um, experience that go beyond the words that I can use apart from lending towards those things. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm just going to continue practicing that imprinting. Um, I'm going to continue feeling into uh, the, the, the way more expansive, you know, towards wholeness, energetic experience of, of what I've become. Um, yeah, there's no way I'm stepping backwards, that's for sure. So, yeah, thanks for asking, Di. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's so relevant to everyone because all of us have, I mean, mine's actually very, that's probably why I'm so emotional because it touches me close to my, to home for me as well, I think, in, in that wanting, I love that, you know, that hang on at all costs thing. And that can come in the guise of um, I've got to love perfectly. I have to be forgiving, 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 forgiving until you forgive yourself out of existence almost. Um, but it is also makes you feel good about yourself because you're working very hard. But sometimes it can make the other person feel like crap, I guess, because you are this not meaning you, but the the person in the relationship um, is is coming from a really high place of overcoming their own needs and being totally selfless and and actually a, a wedding I went to once the minister said the secret of a you know in in marriage you have to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and I remember hearing that and thinking oh. Yeah, that's what I've got to do and that's what I'm going to do because I want to be the perfect spiritual person, you know. Um, but when you're 
annihilating your own self and not not loving and respecting your own needs and allowing allowing yourself to slowly you know um extinguish and then blame the other person for it often too you know i mean i know in myself i'll get i might get lost because i'm giving 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 and then if you if you can do that and never resent that's all good but if you're then going oh and blaming them instead of realizing that i don't i don't have the strength to let go or um i mean that's how it plays out in an adult relationship it can play out like that so i'm the martyr i'm the good person but when i look by looking back at our attachment and by giving yourself the opportunity no matter how you did it i mean that was grueling that that to me i really admire you for being able to do that um i've done that sort of thing but in the comfort of my own home and hold up for maybe weeks and but with no real discipline or structure but i still was able to process through writing music or whatever what was happening in my head in that time but to be able to arrive at oh my gosh it, that's what it is that's and it could be you know for you it may be simply that body memory you know it may be a cellular thing that equates being held as being loved you know um but we can be held we can have be intimate sexually and think that equals love but you know what you were actually wanting was that connection and that knowledge that you which is you are the most important thing and that you are so loved and held and nurtured and that as a child is what tells a kid they're okay you know and then from there they can go out and confidently give love and not have that fear because they know they are loved they know they are worthwhile and i think our parents we can't blame them there's no blame because we all do the best we can with what we've got at the time and our parents were all struggling with their their own emotional <laughs> abandonment issues and the the horrible things that were happening around them in in life you know or the my in my parents case wars and depression so the protective shell of the oyster you know we all have that we all have that and that's why love is so terrifying because at first you know you've got control of it but when it's really deep love the shells out and are you going to let that person shuck you you know literally i mean it's terrifying and unless you have that trust as a as a young child how can you ever have it with an adult with anyone unless those primary caregivers tell you the world is safe you are held and you are loved you know that's you're always going to be walking around with your shell you're not going to be able to trust in preschool in anywhere you're going to be looking for or keeping yourself protected because you've learned that you're not going to get that so you learn to survive with that armor which is okay too you know a lot of people who are very resilient and have learned to survive without that 
have become become resilient, but they know it when they meet somebody who helps them open up somebody they trust enough, whether it be a a friend, a relationship with whoever the relationship with it, it is that they have, a therapist, um, just somebody who lets you go, oh, this is me, <laughs> you know. What a beautiful thing. But, you know, I guess my question before Chad spoke would have been, what was the question, what was the thing that came up as what is important, what is important? Mm -hmm. Not like in life, if you had to face your dying breath, what is it? Mm -hmm. What is it that is important? I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I'm marching towards the end of my life more than the beginning starting half you know the beginning or the halfway so that's becoming the most important thing to me is when I take that last breath you know am I going to want to you know have I done have I have I done the thing that is most important mm. <laughs> I guess I'll um I'll try and speak to that that quite quickly um again as you speak thank you di those uh insights that you shared are in complete alignment 110 percent alignment with uh where i where i sit today that's for sure and the way that you were able to convey that and speak was even more reinforcing in, in all the right ways so yeah that was awesome <laughs> thanks um the thing that came up for me towards the end of what you're saying is, um, you know, I, I guess I never even really thought about it as being a fairly, um, you know, potentially big thing or a kind of you know, perceivably radical notion to go and spend that much time in the way that I did, um, mostly on my own. I say mostly because I was still surfing for the most part on those earlier days but um my interaction just was mainly just a head nod and how you're going there's a couple of small conversations but i was lucky to speak two sentences every three days um there was another exception to that for a couple of days but that's beside the point what i realized um as the time went on is that basically the more isolated i i created myself in in the world that i was sitting in and being in um and the more open and free from the shells of of my um of the holds the tensions in my in my psyche um otherwise the more i i realized that basically this whole notion of connection um with with others externalizing that concept with other people you know again we're talking relationship to to relationship counseling and and how we interact often one-to-one -one, but we always go into that premise of yourself and others so the more i went into that journey down there the more i became comfortable with the fact that it's got nothing to do with anybody else you know by day 10 having spoken less than a paragraph out loud um, without 
really one single eye-to-eye contact um, and for 99.9% of that time without anyone's company except my own, um, I, I felt more connected than ever. That really surprised me. And it's not to say that I didn't have um, feelings towards loneliness from time to time, although it did surprise me how short-lived they were and um, there was a moment of intensity in that respect, but it wasn't long-lasting at all because I allowed it to move through me. And, yeah, the time, the time continued to, to transcend and the connection with everything continued to expand. So when you ask the question in regards to what's important, um, you know, I guess, again, because this is what's coming to me in this process of the flow for me right now is that what I want to keep on reminding myself is that we are all completely interconnected, that it is all interconnected, um, that, you know, we are at our foundation just um, that vibrational frequency of, of everything that goes beyond words and within the context of that we are always immersed within the energy of that it's simply and this is what i bang on about a little bit it's the obscurations of our associations of our mind and our our, our grip <laughs> our oyster root you know, um, congealing and glue to the shell that prevents us from realizing that we are that essence all the time, everywhere, with all and everything. So, yeah, that's what became really profound for me to, to continue to practice. And it, um, it's impossible for me not to speak with sort of a, a, an internal philosophical reference ideologically to, to my Buddhist belief system. But with that, um, with that in mind, I, I speak to myself with the sense of interconnectedness, um, the interconnected interdetermination that everything is cause and effect that we are constantly, even if we're not using words or if we're not eye to eye or if we're um, not even in the immediate vicinity. In fact, you know, we're, we've got a reference to whatever it might be or whoever it might be on the other side of the world. We're constantly shape-shifting each other through the sphere of this energetic um, essence that we represent and also um, allow to, to, to morph in our unique independent um, imprinting that moves towards you know, everything else in our perception. Oh my gosh, okay, so that was a bit deeper than I expected to go. So I don't need to be going that far that much. But you know, with respect to death, dying, where you know you said that your your mind is is at right now, like I, I extend simply that sense of connectedness beyond the realms of this funky earth suit that we're dancing around in and moping around in. Um, you know, I, I believe that at that um, at that essential foundation that we um, are away more than just simply uh, limited by our shells being our bodies and um, we're as all-encompassing as we can possibly imagine and then some. So, yeah, that's, um, that's where I... And placing the importance on my practices, um, which will change again. And, you know, next time you ask me, it'll be 
that would be framed in a slightly different way. <laughs> Chad, um, I think I'm going to throw this at you to, to basically give it, give it everything you can for a, a conclusion maybe. Yeah, thanks, guys. There's a lot said then. Um, I don't know how the listeners are feeling out there, but I know for me it's it stimulated a lot a lot in me that you know what um I suppose that last question that I asked then was you know what do you what do you want to have achieved by the time you take your last dying breath and it really made me reflect on different parts of my life and what I would have hoped to have achieved and how much I've changed by doing this work. You know, I would think in my 20s I would have, you know, it would have been all about the material things that I would have achieved, you know, that I would have made something of myself and I would have left a legacy. We hear a lot of people talk about legacies and it's normally about um It's normally a legacy about being a hard worker and 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 having mass achievement and you know possibly of being I don't know if you, the term famous but almost like leaving something that they really went above and beyond the normal person would have achieved in in their lifetime you know and. And now, at 40, in my early 40s, I would have a completely different legacy as such, you know, of one that I almost integrated all these parts of me back in together and I could die, I could die in wholeness, you know. It's it's almost like whether I believe in the Big Bang or whether I believe in the the man on the cloud god theory or whether I believe in a Hinduism type theory or Buddhist philosophy or an indigenous indigenous culture philosophy. Um, you know, I could I could say that we all came from the same energy. You know, when Dean talked about all us being one, you know, I feel like sometimes it's hard for people to get their heads around how we can all be so separate but we can all be one. You know, so for me there, that, that's the easiest conception that I can actually come up with for myself and if it helps anybody else out there, you know, that if you get your two hands together, your two sort of palms together and then you, you move out in a triangle, whichever way you go, we we have had to have stemmed from the same energy source. You know, so therefore that to me really shows that I am you and you are me. I am everything. You know, I just noticed I was just patting her dog on the screen in front of us, you know, like we are we are everything on the kookaburra outside here on the you know, I'm even the, you know, Objects that I wouldn't think I I am, you know, I'm connected to this computer screen, to this 
ether that we're talking through, it's all the field as such. It's all the same energy field. It's just that I feel separate. You know, and when Dean talked about, you know, those periods of loneliness not lasting long, you know, that was something that I really worked on a few years ago after a, a kind of a big change in my life that left me alone. You know, and and my mentor at the time, he really worked on turning turning loneliness into aloneness. Where it almost has two completely different energies attached to it. You know, everything in the world is, everything in our world is an opposite. You know, we've got, you know, live in a world of dualistic thinking really where it's one or the other. It's either science or it's religion. You know, that's probably the biggest one where we, we're in our dualistic thinking. You know, and, and just turning that energy, you know, like Dean's trip was was the intention of going there to be alone. So it was a it was a purposeful, from what I can gather, it was a purposeful time of aloneness. I think if we can if we can somehow turn around, if we are feeling alone, if we can turn that around and embrace that aloneness and know that we're using this or the universe is giving us this time of aloneness, of, of being alone, to allow this stuff to come up, then we're going to be able to grow from that and then be a better, be a better version, you know, of, of ourselves in the world. And even, you know, Di was talking about a lot about self before, you know, what, who am I is probably one of the biggest questions we could ask ourselves. And I know a lot of people never probably get to ask themselves that question because they're so busy with who they think they are. They never let their thinking get out of the way enough to actually find out who they really are. And I would hope that the more I investigate this, the more I do this inner work, the more I learn and then the more I develop and the more I embody. Because there's one thing about learning, that knowledge is one thing. You know, experience is a, com- is a completely different. You know, anyone can have a concept of God or, or the universe or of being one. But once you've had the experience of, of that, your whole reality will change and you can never actually go back to thinking that we're not one. You know, it would be the same if I tried to sit down and explain to everyone out there who had never eaten a banana what a banana tastes like. Like how would I even explain it? You know, a banana, a banana is like nothing else really and, and a lot of things, you know, even eating an, even eating an apple or, you know, I'm... The experience of swimming in the ocean. Like, how could words convey any of these experiences? Yet, now we think that our brains can process everything, and as all we need is knowledge. But knowledge is just the start of it. 
you know, so sitting here thinking, oh, yeah, I could see how good it would be to, to sit down on your own and and all those things come up and, oh, yeah, that, that's a really good concept, you know, and then we walk away and we tell everyone about it, having never done it, never done it, actually isn't doing it. You know, and that's what I'd say to people out there, you've got to actually take the time with the right intention and do this work. It needs to be discipline, you know. Talk about meditation being a practice, you know. It's a practice as the verb because the more you do it, the more you practice it, the better you get at it. Yeah, so for me it's, I guess these conversations really inspired me to to do more, you know, because I do do a lot of doing, I do do a lot of learning and I do a lot of guided meditation and I work with a lot of clients. You know, I work with 10 to 20 clients a week, couples, young people, People with personality disorders such as schizophrenia who have a lot of selves inside them. You know, they, they hear a lot of voices. And it, it makes me think, you know, each one of these little voices inside our heads is almost a part of ourselves that wants to be explored. You know, whether it's, in Dean's case, whether it's the, the little Dean that needed a hug. You know, but until we explore that and un- unveil that part of ourselves. We're going to project that onto others unconsciously and not really understanding what we're doing. And that's my story too. I look back to some of my interactions and relationships over the years with with the consciousness I've got now and I think, you know, it's so different now. You know, one thing I can't do is get angry at myself for who I was when I didn't know. That's what I'd say to anyone out there. Sometimes therapy and and self-exploration, you know, we shouldn't go spiritual matters alone, really. I think we need to have someone there to bounce these ideas off because doing it all alone sometimes can be scary because as these things come up and these self-realisations come, it can almost be another way for this false self, this egocentricity, another part of us to then go to war on another part of us internally and fracture us off even further. You know, so I think it's good to have a safe reference point, you know, a safe person in your life that you can have these conversations with that understands it because that false self is so strong and it almost, as soon as we chip a bit of that clay away to look for the gold, it'll almost rebuild it. You know, it, it, it almost has an entity of itself that just wants to keep doing and building and building. And for me, this is a lifetime journey. It's not like, you know, doing a course or reading a book. Once I've done it, I put it down and I just skip off into life forever. For me, it's an ongoing process of of evolution. It's like a tree every year that loses its leaves. You know, it loses its leaves in, in autumn and bears winter so that it can actually bloom again in spring. And it does that year after year and cycle after cycle. And that's how it grows. You know, and, and that's what I'd say for us, you know, each, I know for me the biggest realisations always come through pain and always come through digging deep through that pain, you know, pain being pain being the catalyst to change. You know, so I, no, I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed today with you guys and, and I hope people out there listening, if, if they can take away one thing, 
that any of us have said here, each of us have said here or any of us have said here, and maybe implement that into their life, you know. Um, to me, it's going to be probably really trying to sit sometime today and, and you know, set my set 18 minutes aside, you know. 18 seems like the, the number of the day after Dean's trip away, you know, I'm going to, going to set 18 minutes just to sit and I'm not going to have any, I don't want any outcome in my thinking before I sit and do that. I really just want to see and I want to tap into the universe and see what the universe wants to show me. You know, so that's what I what I'm gonna leave you guys out there with, you know. If you can maybe try and sit for eighteen minutes at some point in the next in the next week or two, set aside eighteen minutes of your time and sit and really just allow whatever needs to come up to come up and don't be scared of it. No, but I would say probably maybe afterwards to have somebody that you're going to call, somebody that's in this conversation and maybe maybe try and make some meaning of what's come up, you know, because that they say that's the basis of psychotherapy, you know, is, is two things, is to support the ego, why? To support the true self, to support the ego, why the false self crumbles is the first purpose of psychotherapy and then the second one being to add meaning to what to what's happening to that process. So give us a like. We're on uh, Instagram now, conversations.for.men.women. Give us a like over there, share our page, and, yeah, hopefully connect with you guys all out there again. I'll see you next time, Dean and Di, and have a great week. Thanks, Chad. Um, Di, you're on mute there. We didn't hear you, actually. Oh, sorry. I said thanks, guys. Lots to ponder. Absolutely. May the um, may this beautiful journey continue to flourish for all of us. See you guys next time. Okay. Bye.